you would turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of Philippians. We have begun a series in which we are going through the Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we'll continue that this morning in chapter 1 and verses 12 through 18. I also invite you, we have fellowship pads, uh, register pads on the inside of our aisles, and if you would like to pass those down the aisle, we'd if you're visiting with us, we'd, we'd love to get you something in the mail to tell you a little bit more about St. Andrews and who we are. Let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant word as it's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. It's God's word. Let's go before him in prayer asking for his help. Heavenly Father, we come... This morning to your word and we recognize and understand this morning that we all come into this place from different points in our lives. And some of us come here this morning, we are tired and worn out from the week before. Others of us come this morning and we are encouraged by the previous week. We have waited for this day to come that we might rejoice before you. Still others come into this place and are skeptical of everything that we're doing, wondering how it is that they find themselves in the church this very morning. Come with serious doubts. Still others come this morning and they are full of faith in your son, the living Christ. Father, all of us come this morning and we come from different places, but we pray that for all of us, as we spend time in your word this morning, we pray that you would show us this morning that we are far more wicked, that we are far more twisted and broken than we have ever thought about ourselves. And yet, We also would pray that you would make us all see this morning that the good news is far more glorious than we ever dreamed. For sinners broken and fallen as we are, we are accepted and loved perfectly and completely by you. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would indeed bring the dead to life, and that you would transform your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A man named J.C. Ryle um, 
lived in the 1800s, he tells this story of a man from England who traveled to America, and he tells this in his book, uh, Holiness. I think that's the name of it, if I remember correctly. But he tells this story about this particular man who came as a tourist to America. And he, he wanted to see everything that there was to see and to learn about this, this new land, this culture that was here in America. And, and on his travels, he met a Native American Indian. And this Englishman had all of these questions, questions aplenty for this, this guy. He wanted, to, he, he wanted to know about the Indian's heritage, and he wanted to know about the climate, and he wanted to know about the culture and all the, how he lived, what, what were the living conditions like, and all, all these different array of questions. And on and on he went with these questions. But every time this Englishman tried to engage this Indian in, in conversation, the Indian would somehow turn the conversation to Jesus. The Indian happened to be a Christian, converted under the preaching of the gospel. And this Englishman started getting frustrated because none of the questions that he wanted answered were getting answered. And uh, eventually, he asked this Indian, he said, why is it that every conversation comes back to you talking about Jesus? And for the very first time, the Indian was absolutely silent. said nothing. J.C. Ryle said that the the Indian knelt down on the ground and he gathered up these twigs and these dried leaves and he, he began to build this little circle, a little ring with these, these dried twigs and leaves. And upon doing so, he found a caterpillar crawling on the ground and he picked that caterpillar up and he placed it in the middle of the ring. And then the Indian proceeded to light this ring of dried twigs and leaves on fire. So he lit it on fire, and as the flames grew more intense and the heat got more intense, the caterpillar kept searching for a way out of that ring. And when it couldn't find a way out, it had gone to the center of that ring and curled up as though it had resolved to die. And at that point, this Indian reaches down and he grabs, snatches this caterpillar out of the flames. And he holds it up to this Englishman, and he says... This is why I can't help talking about Jesus. And he said, I was that worm. I was lost in my sins, dying and hopeless and helpless. And it was Jesus who reached down and rescued me. It was Jesus who showed me grace and rescued me from all I deserve. And that's why I can't stop talking about him. Well, here's why I tell you J.C. Ryle's little story. Because I think the Indian was saying something like this. He was saying, the reason I keep talking about Jesus is because I found out what matters in life. He's saying, I know what is most important. And because I know what is most important, that is why I cannot be quiet about Jesus. You know, in some ways, this passage that we come to this morning is fairly simple. I mean, we are told that the thing that matters is that the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed and preached. The thing that is most important is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would suggest to you that there is a rub here, and it's this. Even though this passage has a very simple point, it's actually a difficult passage because it forces all of us to ask this question of ourselves. What is most important in my life? I mean, what really matters to me? What is the most important thing? And I think that that is where this passage actually begins to get a little personal with all of us, because we can't just look at Paul and say, This is Paul. We have to look at ourselves 
and see what we are and see what matters to us. And so the first thing that we come to in this passage is that Christ is preached in suffering. You know, you you read the passage and you realize that Paul is in jail. He's been arrested and he's there because he has been proclaiming the gospel. He's arrested for spreading the gospel. And, And sitting in his chains, he says, what really matters isn't that I've been thrown in jail. He says, what really matters is that Jesus is preached in my suffering. What really matters is that these chains cannot stop the spread of the gospel. In fact, the opposite is true. As he sits in his chains, the gospel advances. It goes forward through rejection and through suffering. I don't know if y'all remember these... um, They're called the Magic Eye Posters. I don't know if anybody remembers these things. It's been a while since I've seen one. But they're these big posters and they full of colors and these random shapes and just look like nothing on this poster. And I I can remember the first time I saw these things. You see, you're supposed to look at these. And if you looked at these posters in the right way, what what seemed to be nothing, you you would eventually see a 3D image in the picture itself the dolphins jumping out of the water, you know, the castle or something like that. And, uh, and so I remember the first time that I saw these and I was, you know, I was a cool junior high kid and I was at the mall um, with a friend of mine or something like that. And there was this big display of these posters. And so we're standing there looking at these posters and I'm just staring for what seemed an eternity for me to be staring at this poster. And I couldn't see anything. And I just said, you know, this is ridiculous. This is a, a waste of time. And and then my friend said, said to me, he said, you aren't looking at it the right way. And he explained that you have to fix your eyes on this point and su- such and such. And then eventually you would see this image come out of the picture. And so I tried what he said. And sure enough, I saw the 3D dolphins or whatever it was in that picture. I, I would suggest to you this morning that what Paul is saying in verses 12 through 14, he, he's saying, if you look at my suffering, if you look at my rejection, and you're discouraged, you aren't looking at it the right way. You see, if you see these chains on my wrist, he's saying, and you are losing heart, you are not looking at the chains in the right way. Verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And then he tells you that the whole palace guard, the unbelieving world, knows that I am suffering for Jesus. You need to look at my suffering the right way. That's what he's saying. The people who are guarding me are hearing about Jesus. And the Christians in the city, he goes on to tell us, are now encouraged to speak God's word with courage. You need to look at my suffering the right way, he's saying. Christians are gaining courage and willing to speak the word of God more courageously and boldly. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we look at suffering the right way? Do you see what really matters even in your suffering, I guess I'm saying? That Jesus would be proclaimed in it. You know, there are all kinds of suffering. But the suffering that's in view here specifically is suffering for the gospel. And we need to be honest that this kind of suffering is really hard for us to talk about in the American South. From experience, we know little of this kind of persecution. But I want to suggest to you that the reason isn't because there is no opposition to the gospel where we live. See, after all, Jesus promised 
One of his promises that you're not going to find in the little Bible promise book is that Jesus promised that if you would follow him, you would be persecuted like him. You would suffer like him. And so you see, I think we know little of gospel suffering because we have worked so hard to insulate ourselves from it. See, we know what circles to avoid. We know who not to befriend. We have learned when not to take risks. We have learned when to retreat to our comfort zones. I mean, just think about our Christian culture itself. The reason we are reading this letter to the Philippians is really because Paul would have been an absolute failure in our, our evangelical world today. An absolute failure. Paul was a preacher, but not the kind that would be like today. See, in our, in our circles, we talk about the savvy preachers, the cool preachers, the flashy preachers, and ministries, ministries that are constantly wowing you. You know, you're amazed at how sophisticated they run and operate and do their things and how preachers can so eloquently speak. But here Paul isn't embracing the stage. He is absolutely embracing suffering. And I really think that Paul would say to us this morning that you don't see suffering the right way because you haven't learned to see it through the lens of the gospel. You know what's being proclaimed in suffering? It's a death. See, our idea of glory in this world is big and flashy, legitimate, impressive. And Jesus' idea of glory was a cross. His idea of glory was death on an ugly cross. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, when, you, when, when they see my suffering, when you see my suffering, you have to think of the suffering of Jesus and how the hope of God's people doesn't rest in glitz and glamour, but it rests in one who laid down his life for his people. You know, in fact, this is the glory of the church. I mean, you just look at history. You know, the church has always experienced its most growth during its periods of the most intense persecution and suffering. I mean, you've probably heard the saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It is a, it's an upside-down way of seeing suffering. And you can only see it rightly when you see it through the gospel. You know, this church, St. Andrew's, we take our symbol of the St. Andrew's cross from the persecuted church in Scotland in the 17th century. I want you to listen just to, to an illustration of a kingdom that advances through the suffering of a man named David Haxon, whose story is accounted for in Fair Sunshine. Here it is. Already dying from his ghastly wounds, he was led away to suffer. While great crowds looked on, there was done upon him by the hangman a gross, painful barbarity not mentioned in his sentence. Then he endured with firmness and patience the cutting off of his hands. But the hangman, having taken such a long time to hack off his right hand, he asked that his left hand might be taken off at the joint which was done. And with a pulley, he was then pulled to the top of the gallows, and when choked a little, was let down alive. The hangman then, with a sharp knife, opened his breast, and putting in his hand, pulled out his heart. It fell upon the scaffold and moved there. 
The hangman picked it up on the point of the knife and carrying it around the scaffold, he showed it to the people saying, here is the heart of a traitor. Patrick Walker, this is the eyewitness, says that it fluttered upon the knife and the rest of the sentence was duly carried out. And this is how the author closes this. The free grace of God was glorified in David Haxon so that whoever thinks of him must think of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you hear that. For anyone who thinks about this man, they have to think about his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, too. I think this is what Paul is saying. My suffering advances the gospel because when you think of my suffering, when you think of my death, when you think of me in this jail cell, you have to think of the one who suffered in my place on Calvary. Look, the application of this passage... It really isn't be strong, take a stand, you know, like a motivational speech or something like that. That's not the point of this passage. The application of this passage is that you would figure out what matters in life. Because it's when you figure out that Jesus is what matters that everything comes into focus and you can begin to embrace suffering and even see things upside down. Does being comfortable matter to you or does Jesus matter? Does slipping under the radar matter? Or does Jesus matter? I mean, does popularity matter to us? Or does Jesus matter? It's when you find out that Jesus is what matters, that everything comes into focus, and you begin to see things the right way. Well, second, I'm going to, in the interest of time, basically combine two points here. But Christ is not only proclaimed in our suffering... You see here that he's also proclaimed from different motives. On the one hand, Christ is preached out of envy and rivalry, and on the other hand, he is preached out of goodwill. So let's deal with the fact that we're told that Jesus is preached out of this motive of envy and rivalry. In verse 15, Paul writes, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. You've got to think about Paul's realism here as he notes this. There are people out there preaching Jesus out of all the wrong motives. All the wrong motives. Is that true today? Absolutely. People stand up and proclaim Jesus out of a desire to be in a position of power. Those who want to be noticed, those who want to impress a following, those who are seeking their own self-justification, those who desire to be in a position of authority, those who would love the praise of men. And we could go on for a while to talk about all those different motives, but you notice Paul's realism, he's just saying, it's true. That happens. In this world, Christ is preached from all the wrong motives. And the irony of it all is that these people are preaching the self-sacrificing free grace of Jesus from this selfish motive hoping to gain something from it. And what's worse in Paul's case is what he says in verse 17. He says, these people are preaching Jesus out of this selfish ambition and they are hoping that their preaching is going to cause me more trouble in my chains. It's adding insult to injury. Now, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have a lot of answers to this passage here. Um, I've thought about it some, but I can't pull these pieces together. You know, I mean, these are the questions I have. Why are these people jealous of Paul? I'm not jealous of him. He's in jail. Why, Why are they envious of him? And I just can't come up with any answers, and Paul doesn't answer that question. Well, then how do these people think that preaching Jesus will somehow add to Paul's suffering? And cause him more trouble in prison. I have no idea. And Paul doesn't answer that question. He just leaves it hanging out there for us. 
And so I think the most important question is this. Why doesn't Paul answer these questions? And the answer is in verse 18, where he says the details don't matter. Because what matters is that Christ is preached. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. You know, Paul is obviously not saying that motives don't matter. But he is saying that he has found something even more important than motives. And that is Jesus. You know, I'm sure a number of you have received support letters from missionaries, but I have never received a support letter like this. You know, thank you for your money. Thank you for sending me to China. Uh, It's great. It's wonderful. As soon as I got here, I found out that I was the most hated man in town. And people are, are actually trying to hurt me even more by preaching Jesus. It is wonderful. Keep sending your money. I'm suffering. I mean, you just don't get letters like that. But don't you know that Paul's letter to the Philippians, at least the beginning, is really like a support letter from the missionary. And he's saying, this is what's going on. You can only say that when you figure out that Jesus is the thing that matters. He's the thing that matters. We'll finish up this section by looking at this other motive for preaching Jesus. Paul says in verse 15 that some preach Christ also out of goodwill. And he goes on in the next verse to explain that they're preaching Christ out of love because they know why Paul is in prison. A great Puritan preacher by the name of Richard Baxter, he once described his preaching, and he described it this way. He said, I preached as never sure to preach again and as a dying man to dying men. As a dying man to dying men. And I think that that might be a pretty good way to describe what it means to preach Jesus out of goodwill and love. Because it is holding before sinners who are broken and battered by the fall, the hope of Jesus. To point people who deserve nothing but death to the one who can give life. It is to take weary and confused Christians and lift their eyes to see the Lord Jesus. You see, that is what it means to preach out of love. To preach as a dying man to dying men. Now, here's the thing though. When all is said and done, Paul explains that the thing that matters, even with this group of people, is not their motives, but that they proclaim Jesus. It is the content of their message that is most important. I hope you understand what I'm saying. The thing that matters is not how they preach, but who they preach. Do you know why I think Paul can say this? I think it is because he understands That the essence of preaching is proclamation. That the essence of preaching is declaring a truth. And it is making this announcement that something has already happened in history. Jesus came. He was born. He lived. He died. And he was raised from the grave. It is over. It is an announcement of good news. And it is in that announcement that lives are changed. It is in that announcement that the dead are brought to life. And so this is why Paul would say that the most important thing would be that this would be announced from everywhere. Jesus came, he lived, and he died in your place. But really, why why is it that that announcement 
matters. Um, my dad is here this morning, and I'm not sure if he remembers this story or not, but when I was a senior in high school, like a lot of seniors in high school, we set out on a, a college trip. You know, we were going to check out all these colleges where, where we might go, and I think we were so, somewhere in Arkansas, I'm pretty sure, um, and, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden the car starts jerking and it's just behaving funnily, fun, fun, funnily. <laughs> new word, um, anyway, um, it, and, all, and so we're wondering what's going on with the car, and then all of a sudden the engine just dies completely, and we coast off to the shoulder, and, and there we are on the side of the road, and I, I think I remember us lifting up the hood, and every time I lift up the hood of a car, it's, I look at it, and I'm like, it's, it's a car. It, you know, and there's, there's an engine, and there's lots of metal in there, and there's wires, and I don't know what any of this stuff does, but we'll juggle something, and... Uh, well, make a long story short, we, we gave up, we walked to the next exit and to the gas station, and we kind of explained our situation to the person at the gas station, and after, you know, a, a very short diagnosis, um, we were asked if maybe the car didn't run out of gas, uh, and uh, that, in fact, was what happened, and, um, you know, I don't know anything, I don't know anything about cars, um, but I do know that you can do anything you want with a car, except drive it when there's no gas in it. I mean, without the gas, it's just a hunk of metal. That's, that's all it is. You know, this is why Jesus being preached is the thing that matters. Because without this announcement of Jesus' finished work, his completed work, without that announcement, there is no life. There is no mercy, there is no grace, there is no good news. Without Jesus, there is nothing to wake the dead. And there is nothing to move us to obedience and love without that announcement. You see, in the span of just a few verses, Paul is saying, Jesus is everything. You have to understand that. Jesus is everything, and that has to change your perspective. To know that His suffering was in your place... It is to, is to find the freedom to embrace the glory of suffering and rejection for Jesus. To know that Jesus' sacrifice is complete and perfect opens our eyes to understanding the importance that not just the Bible is preached, but that Jesus is preached and proclaimed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our only hope is in his name. Our only hope is in, that what, is in what he did in history, in space and time. That he came, was born of a woman, suffered the miseries of this life, lived perfectly and obediently before you and went to a cross, was rejected, suffered, and died in our place, and was raised from the grave. Father, I pray for all of us that we would see that Jesus is everything, that He is what matters in life, 
And we pray that that would free us to embrace suffering instead of cowering away from it. We pray that that would, in a sense, help us to know how to read our Bibles. To see that it is not advice to us, but it is an announcement that Jesus has won for us acceptance with the almighty, righteous, and good God. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.